What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Media Studios in Columbia, South Carolina, and Thomasville, North Carolina, it's Tim Leeming and Bill Blair. Welcome to Ghost Tracks and Legends. Good evening, everyone, and happy Thursday. Good evening to you, Bill Blair. How are you? Well, as I said earlier, I don't have a clue, but everything's going to be okay. 
Yeah, it is. I I hit the button at the wrong time, got us on the air early, so that's that screwed up a few people, I guess. But you know, we got got on the air, so there we are. Here we are. Let's talk about. You know, we we had Russ True Love had left us last week, and of course James Hilton and his son James Jr. were killed uh, this past, I think, Friday Friday night on the way back from Talladega. Jim Foster has also passed away. Jim Foster was a newspaper writer once upon a time here in Columbia, South Carolina, but went to Spartanburg and he worked for Dodge for a long time. And Bill, who was the other gentleman you mentioned just as we were? It's, uh, Jimmy Haley. He, a lot of the racing community knows Jimmy from way back in the 70s. Uh, he used to race at Bone Grove Stadium. And he ended up buying one of the javelins from... Uh, uh, Jim Pascal and Warren Prout and raced in the Grand American and Grand National East there for a few years, but most notably with RCR and uh, Richard Childress racing. Open welcome. He uh, ran Richard's uh, uh, show car, uh, you know, car, uh, taking the cars around the country to the dealerships and displaying them to different places, but uh, that was his deal. And uh, it, it turned out real big, you know. And I think they start out with just one uh, trailer and, and a tow truck and one car. And next thing you know, they had a whole yard full of them, had people working for them, sending them all over the country. And he managed all that until he retired. And Jimmy was a friend of everybody at RCR and the racing community. And he's been battling uh, leukemia for a few years and doing very well. He fought it uh, nobly, and uh, finally, here in the past six months, he went downhill, and this past Tuesday morning, he left here, and uh, Jimmy was a well-liked person. We'll miss him. Yeah. You know, we were talking about, I think, over the week that we had been working on getting James Hilton on our show, and we'd also worked on uh, getting Russ Love on the show. And those times were coming up, I think. We already had James scheduled for some time in June. But, you know, it's like you have so often said and we have talked about, we're just running out of time with a lot of these people whose stories need to be recorded. It's as simple as that. And I don't know what to do about it. Do you have any suggestions there, Bill? Well, you just have to stay at it. And some of these guys never retired like James Hilton and and Jimmy Haley stayed busy all the time. You know, he had some replica cars taking them to show. He had a, a matador like Bobby Allison had, and he had a, a little modified like to run it to Bum Gray Stadium like he had years ago, and he was busy going places. That's like uh, Hilton. Hilton and I was going to go metal detecting up on the battlefields or outside the battlefields in Virginia when he retired, and he never retired. Every time I'd see him, we'd laugh about it. But, you know, we... I, I did make a, a fill-out certificate in the uh, our race and hit roofs, but I never got to present it to him because uh, he's always gone. And he did come to Hillsborough one, one time about two years ago, but he stayed on the go run the ARCA car and everything, you know. Yeah. In fact, that's what he was coming back from the ARCA race at Talladega when they had the accident, you know, and I mean, his truck driver and his name just totally escapes me right now is in the hospital recovering from the injuries but uh, you know that's just sad news that I don't know what to do Bill it's just seemed like the stories we lost 
with James is just incredible, and the stories we lost through Russ Trulove would have been the same way. But I still think what we're doing and who we're adding here is building a great historic place or a place of historic significance in the sport, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, you got a good database of all the all the stories, and uh, I'm amazed that some of them uh, they were smart people. I mean, you look at James Hilton, for instance, and the guy you had on the other day, uh, Jim Bright, uh, very intelligent. And uh, James, you know, was very successful. When he started, he finished what second once or twice in the point standings. Yeah, he did. He sure did. And and, uh, he was a good driver. Uh, I remember very well when I was building engines for Richard Childers, who was an independent, and uh, David Sisko, another independent, Cecil Gordon, James Hilton, and a few more. But James was as good as anybody on chassis. He could do mm-hmm. anything to a car, fabricate. Uh, he just wanted to do it his way, and, and you know, he he didn't mince words. He could be opinionated sometimes, but he always shot straight with you. Yeah, he was always a good guy to me. Let me make a little mention here. Some people are telling me they're getting a double feed on the broadcast. Um, the only thing, the only way I can explain that, and I'm not sure I can even explain it then, if you're listening on our site, on our network, and there's some, some question about where Spreaker's coming in, I really don't know how I can control that. I'm messing with the controls right now, but I don't know. But while we're on, let's go talk about the Ray Hendrick Challenge, which was intended to be completed this past Friday. But we have a tie for the lead between Gene Hobby and Travis Tiller, with Dick Foley and Johnny Maloney running neck and neck for second. We will complete this event on the show next Thursday, May 10th. So be sure to watch your email for voting information. Now, speaking of your email, members are entitled to a ghosttracks.racing email address once your membership has moved over to the media center. I've had this email service for over a year and not one spam email has been received on that email. Also, attachments come through easily and go out easily. So I highly recommend the Ghost Tracks email server from my personal experience, all of you should have received an email some time ago with instructions of how you can move to the new media network. But few of you have done that. If you're having issues, email me at timleaming at ghosttracks.racing and I'll get word to Dan that you need some help. Also, and don't forget to mark your calendars for May 25th. There is an event in Charlotte, Motorfest. 2018. Bob Hissom will join us on May 17th with some full details. But if you are anywhere near the area, you need to stop in for a great time with racing pioneers, legends, and heroes. Also, Ghost Tracks is planning an event to honor the late Little Bud Moore to be held at the Lakeview Speedway in South Carolina Labor Day weekend. So put that on your calendar. Dirt Short track racing at a great facility with the Bell and Bell Series competing. This will kick off our participation in the ALS Walk for Team Little Bud coming up in late September. More on that later. We plan on having Little Bud's daughter back on the show to tell us more 
about that as we get closer to it. But, uh, you know, Bill, <laughs> what else you got, man? Well, uh, how much time you got? Uh, well, we got we, about five minutes before I told Bill we'd call him. Okay. Uh, we're going to South Boston, Virginia Saturday. They're having a heritage uh, festival at the fairgrounds there next to the racetrack. And that afternoon, uh, the vintage race cars will be there, the ground pounders and some of the flathead Fords. And that'll be right exciting. And uh, come on up. And uh, they're calling for a little bit of rain. And late afternoon and early that morning, but maybe during the daytime, everything will be okay. And um, last year, I think they had a big crowd and they towed up about eight cars and one whack, and uh, that's not good. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess this will be what the second or third weekend at Bowman Gray Stadium they got going again, and uh, uh, it's 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 a sellout crowd. I don't know how they do it, but they keep on doing it year after year. Something NASCAR can't do. I know I don't know what the excitement is, but you and I have both been talking to Randy Myers off and on this week, and you know he has just the calmest way of stating the obvious about the excitement at Bowman Gray. Well, he does, of course. He's you know his dad and his uncle. That's the house that they built, along with Curtis Turner and, and a few of those guys, Glenn Wood. I tell you, if you could, I, I just wish one day that. Uh, I know it ain't going to happen, but what do you think it would be like if the Myers brothers could come back and Curtis Turner show up and Glenn Wood show up, just a few more? You could not. There's nowhere you could put all the people who want to come and see that. No way. Um, I loved it when uh, Bobby and Curtis used to get into it, and uh, here'd come Bobby with a big tire toe, go get after Curtis, and Curtis would come out with a pistol, and he said, what are you going to do with that tire toe, Bobby? Bobby said, I'm just looking for a place to put it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we need to write a story on that, write a short story on that instance. But I'll tell you, Bowman Gray is somewhere that I have got to get up to. I haven't been there in, oh, God, back in the 70s, I think, was the only time I was ever there. And, yeah. You know, it's oh, a great it's, facility. And you uh, know, the first race they had over there, it just so happened my daddy drove somebody else's car and he sat on the pole and led the first part of that race, and it uh, broke a axle. But anyway, he got for pole position, he got $18 and a uh, pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses sitting on the pole. <laughs> and he ended up, Pontiac Flock won it, and uh, Pascal was there, Herb Thomas was there, and, and Glenn Wood was there. Uh, they didn't have that many cars. They thought then it was just too, too small a track to race on. <laughs> but they've been doing it for many years. Yeah, they have, haven't they? When when did that thing get started? Way, I mean, way way back. back. Uh, Forty nine, wasn't it? I was thinking it was right near the very start of everything that was going on with yeah, the NASCAR. I believe Forty nine when it started, but uh, gosh, it's, it's 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 been there. Somebody else actually ran some midget type cars there to begin with, and they I understand they run off of the money or something like that, and they quit racing until Alvin Hawkins, Bill France come along and started it again. And I guess the Hawkins family is still there today. Hmm. Well, but, it's uh, got a good reputation behind it. It's got a good history behind it. And just so many things, the stories we could tell. You know, we need to get Randy Myers back on here with you one day and have the two of you talk about 
all the stores that could come in. Oh, and speaking of bringing people back, um, you know, we had Bobby Fleming on a couple of weeks ago, and Spreaker yeah. dumped our show, dumped the entire show that night, the only Spreaker problem we've ever really had. So I talked to Bobby yesterday, I think it was yesterday, and we have rescheduled him for May 17th, so that's what, like two weeks? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From tonight, we're going to bring him back on and start all over again, Bill, like you did last time. Well, that'd be great. One thing I noticed, and I'm about to run out of time here, but I looked on the Facebook last night. Sheila told me about it. NASCAR fans are racing away from the sport even faster. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah, I saw that. Uh, you, you know, I don't have an answer for it. The TV ratings, you know, we talk about how low they've been. We talk about how they were telling us that Talladega was packed. And, you know, the infield had a pretty good crowd. The grandstands, yeah. Not not so great, but, you know, I don't know, Bill. I don't have an answer for it. I don't. Well, they not, say in, uh, on, on television, they said, well, the infield sold out. Yeah. I saw plenty of space in there. I don't, don't know how it was sold out. And the TV ratings were the lowest of any this year. And the crowd was off, even though it looked like there was a lot of people there. They got to painting the seats now where it looks like there's people there. Right. And it, but it, I think it was a pretty good crowd from what I could see, really. But yet uh, they removed they're removing seats from a lot of these uh, racetracks now to, yeah. to make them look like they still sellouts and they're not. So uh, they said like uh, up at Richmond there was a hundred oh, thousand something like that up there maybe one hundred sixty thousand ten years ago now they only had forty two thousand and and so on but it's on Facebook if you want to look at it and. Uh, I feel sure NASCAR's looking at it. Yeah, I guess they need to be looking at it. But it's the same old thing, you know, it's the same old thing over and over. All right, let's get Bill Ellis on the line with us. So hold on here. Let me click his little number and see if I can add him to the call. Last week we had all kinds of problems, and I wasn't doing it. That was something else that was going on. But uh, Ellis resident. Well, could we speak with Bill Ellis, please? This is Bill. Hey, Bill, this is Tim Leeming with ICAST Media Network, and Bill Blair, take it away. Hello, Bill Ellis. Bill, how are you this evening, buddy? Well, I'm doing fine, Bill, and great to have you on. Look forward to spending a little bit of time here with you today, and I was just telling my wife a minute ago, she met you this past year when you went into the North Carolina Drag Race Hall of Fame, and uh, she said, my goodness, I thought he was a drag racer. And I said, he was, but he's a round track racer, too. Now, here's what I want the fans to know. Bill Ellis has done it all. I believe I'd be correct in saying that Bill Ellis used to drag race, and Bob Osiki was a promoter, and he won about everything Bob Osiki promoted. Then he built his own drag strip, started pro stock racing down here in the south in, 19, I guess, 68, somewhere along in there. 
and also very successful in building round track cars for Jim Pascal, Jerry Grant, and Tom Freakin' Enterprises. So what I'd like to do, Bill, if you would start us off from the beginning of your racing career and tell us when you got started and tell us about the drag racing first and lead us on up into round track racing until the day you retired. So you take it away. Okay, uh, Bill. Uh, I want to welcome you and Tim into my home. Thank you. And uh, I'm talking here from my trophy uh, room. And uh, the beginning of the Norhooksburg Dragway, the Ellis family built it in uh, 50, uh, 55 and 56. And... Uh, First race we had there was 1957, and uh, done a lot of practicing, Bill, when we got it built because it was dirt. And strip, uh, okay. We uh, had all kinds of problems of trying to get our car to leave leave the end, you know, from spinning. Yeah. And. Uh, I'll have to share this one thing here with you. I got a 55 Chevrolet and fixed it to run strictly on that dirt. But every time we start to leave the line, it just sat there and spin. <laughs> so uh, what we come up with at that time, you know, a farm tractor, you put water in the rear tires, yeah. and it'll really get a bite, you know. So we filled up the rear tires with water, and it did. It got a heck of a good bite leaving the line, but right before the finish line, it turned over end over end three times because the tires got to growing and the ball hooping down through there. Oh, my gosh. And, and so that was the end of the 55 Chevrolet. <laughs> Well, wasn't all the drag strips, they were about all of them dirt back then, except at the airports, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All that you went to. But uh, we kept on. We uh, finally learned a lot of good stuff, you know, to get them to where they get a bite and uh, and run pretty good on dirt. And uh, so we started running in 57 and 58. And... Uh, had some mighty good races down there uh, on the dirt. That was Very long before you put asphalt down. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, back in 50, 58 and 59, I run that Corvette of Church's Little Angel. Okay. And we run uh, a lot of different tracks, and we won 96 times over the period of two years. And, uh... That meant so, uh, So, in, uh... Dwayne Church owned the vehicle and Gaddy Motor Company sponsored it. And we run up with Bob Osiki and, uh, started running with him under some of these sanctions that he had. And, uh... So that kind of wound up the drag racing up to the point of uh, 1960, 
and I decided to build some Grand National cars or work on some Grand National cars up through 64. And the first ones uh, that I worked on, it was the 59 Chevrolet that Junior had won Daytona with. And uh, these five of these local boys had bought it and brought it to Wilkesburg and worked and run it out of Gaddy Motor Company. And uh, they had hired Hubert Westmore and uh, to come and maintain it. And Hubert hired me. So I went to Gaddy Motor Company and uh, and went to work with Hubert Westmore. And uh, Dwayne Church and Fred and Rex Lovett and Bruce Church and Jack Gaddy is the one at that time owned the car. So uh, what happened in that deal in a few months, Fred and Rex Lovett decided to buy the team out and run it under Holly Farms. And so uh, they run the... They run 60 to 64, and uh, in 65, I took on a car for Tom Freakin' out of San Diego, California, and it was a Chevrolet, and Jim Pascal was the driver, and the first race we went to, uh, Dawson, South Carolina, and... Uh, Jim was down there leading that race, and the points in the distributor broke off. And we had about a three or four car uh, over Ned Jarrett leading was leading it that much, and Ned Jarrett wound up winning it. And uh, of course, naturally, we come back and. Started running these other tracks and, and uh, went to Martinsville, Virginia in 1966. And we won that there race up at Martinsville. And then we run one there at Wilkesburg, 400, and one hit 67. And then we went on to Daytona and won the Permatex 300 at Daytona Beach, or Daytona Speedway. Right. And uh, then we <clears throat> got involved in it at the World 600 in 1967, and we won hit. And uh, then we won several smaller races at different, uh, different places, Bill. And, uh, Anyhow. Well, I remember those, uh, like, well, they're Plymouths, wasn't they, that y'all had there? Uh, we the started off in 65 with a Chevrolet, Jim Pascal and I, and then we went to Plymouth. Right. And, and you know, I want to tell you something. Jim Pascal was a great race car driver, wasn't he? He is one of the best, and I'll have to say that with all honesty. I when think the two best ones that I ever had was Curtis Turner. And Jim Pascal. Well, 
you know, I worked for Jim off and on for years, and I know what he could do. Uh, uh, he just, was good. He'd he take was. care of your equipment, and at the end, he'd be there pecking on the door. Mm-hmm. Now, when freaking, uh, the way I remember it, y'all were all set to race for a stock car championship, NASCAR championship. You'd won some races, and, and everything was coming together. And then all of a sudden, Tom uh, freaking, he disappears. He he just ups and quits for no reason at all, I guess. Or did he ever tell you why he quit? No, he didn't. And, uh, you know, we went to uh, Indianapolis uh, and took a car out of my shop. Uh, and uh, Jerry Grant was the driver. And that was... Uh, in 68 and uh we qualified 15th and uh the car uh didn't finish the race we uh we lost the engine later in the race but it run good up until that point but after that uh i don't know uh the ifs and ands on the Tom Freakin, but uh, at the end there, we was kind of, you know, getting everything together. That's what I thought. I thought you were going to go for a championship. Uh, yeah. You've never messed with an Indianapolis car before, and yet it, it, you showed up and ran real good. And uh, we wound up going uh, to uh, Talladega, the first race down there. But uh, that was myself at that time. I'd bought the cars off the of freaking and the parts. And uh, we went to Talladega, and uh, Richard Brickhouse drove my car. And it was that car was a factory car. And then the Superbird I had run third with Ramo Scott. So we run uh, one and three that day. Well, that, what was that, 69 or 70? 69. 69, the first race ever had. Yeah. And, uh... They also ran that, Grand American cars in that race, too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. What had, what had happened, uh, they had a boycott, if you remember. Right. And, uh, a, a lot of them race. boys, those drivers, just loaded up and went home. And several of us stayed because we couldn't afford to go home. <laughs> well, what was Dollar happening? wise. What was happening, Bill? Was the tires just couldn't stand the speed? or, or they Well, here's a little combination of both, Bill. Uh, some of the track, a spot or two, tried to come up. And then the worst thing was the tires. And uh, they kept blowing them things right and left. And... Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, the next day, uh, no, it was the morning of the race. I met Bill France in the, in the restaurant up there. It was about 4.30 in the morning. And he motioned me to come over to the table. I went over and sat down and talked with him a few minutes and, he said, Bill, let me tell you what I got in mind and see what you think about it. He says, everybody that's bought a ticket for today's race, 
bring that ticket, and I'll let them in at Daytona free. And I said, well, Bill, you couldn't do nothing no better than that for the fans. So that's what he done. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that very well. But I didn't. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What was it uh, Daytona 1970? I believe you had a Monte Carlo down there, didn't you, Bill? Yeah, I had two with Pedro Rocky Rockeridis. Uh, Mexican, yep. and uh, he anyhow the Francis got me lined up with him, and we went down there with uh, the Monte Carlos. Had two of them, and uh, uh, Pedro seemed like he kept caught on real quick. Uh, what's going on there at Daytona? And uh, so uh, <clears throat> we took and uh, put the engine in, got ready to qualify, and and the engine let go on us. And uh, so we put a nudding in, and uh, hit let go too. And we was down there with no engines, and uh, had had a valve clearance problem, and. Uh, so we got that uh, we got that squared away, but he didn't get to run the race. Well, Bill, where, where was all your backing coming from then? Because that couldn't have been at cheap. that time. Right. It t- that time out of my pocket. Oh, okay. Because I was trying to think back to any of the big sponsors you may have had. I mean, I know you had great cars, but it was just like. After Friedkin left, I don't think you had any big-time sponsor. No. Small, uh, just a little deal here and there, you know. Nobody permanent on it. No, but uh, when when I was reading on you today, I was reading up on your background. You are an amazing man. You, You are truly one of NASCAR's amazing, independent, absolutely hard-working dudes, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, we we put a lot of effort to all of it and uh uh just like down there at Talladega. It, it's a shame and all that happened, but it is one of them things that did happen. And just like old man France, he uh he made the good out of it, bottom line. Yeah, he did. And uh 
but uh, anyhow, we uh, we got Talladega behind us and come on back, and the factory give us or brought us uh, the same the same car that we won Talladega with. It was a green Dodge Charger, and uh, we brought it back here and and uh, fixed it up and and run one race, I believe it was, with it. But uh, we would... uh, The baby grand circuit that you started? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What what year was that? It was about mid-70s, wasn't it, or somewhere along in there? It it was 1970. Uh, It's when we built that... uh, Little road course for them. And then you went to Vegas, uh, cars like the Vegas and Pintos. Yeah. And, and then, then NASCAR took it away from you, didn't they? Yeah, they, yeah, they sure did. <laughs> Tell us about that. I bet you weren't happy, was you? Well, no, I wasn't. Uh, but what really started it, we had a race here in. Uh, uh, part of the boys thought they'd pull out of it and go to these other little tracks and run and could make make more money in what they're doing here. It is the theory, I think, on it. But anyhow, several of them pulled out and went to Hickory's and Ed Jarrett got them over there. And uh, when he got them over there, I think we run one race and had, I believe it's still 16 cars, but uh, there's so much uh, if and ends going on there with the part of them with Ned Jarrett and, and uh, our track. So I told the boys, I said, we'll just quit, and I'll use that for parking area for the drag cars. And that's what you we built, done. You built a road course, I, I guess. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Where was that, uh, Wilkesboro? Uh, yeah, Wilkesboro uh, Dragway. Okay. And uh, it was a good track and put on a mighty good show. Uh, a lot of the local boys built them cars. Of course, we built the first nine. And uh, Bill Blair, if you know him, <laughs> built the motors for several of them. And Bill built... Build a mighty strong engine for four cylinder. He still does. <laughs> he still does. <laughs> yes, sir. And if I had any today, that's the man I'd ask to build them now. Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, but what I'm what I'm driving at in this interview, you started that. You you haven't told people yet, so I want to remind you. If I'm, you tell me if I'm wrong. But did you? start the pro stock racing right here in the south up at uh, North Wilkesboro Drag Track. Yeah, that is correct. And, uh, and we... Uh, all the big names. That's where it came. You had, what, 16, 32-car fields? We always had 16 to start, but we put on a two-day meet, Bill, and uh, we had 32 cars for that meet. And, uh, in fact, Pro Stock was actually born here. That's what I'm And uh, 
we had uh, we had 32 cars that one race, and I don't think it NHRA has ever had that many at one time. I'm talking about the big names. I'm talking about uh, Roy Hill, the Plant Brothers, and and uh, Ed Skill. Oh yeah. Oh. Richard Broom and uh, just and, uh, just number after number. Yeah, uh, Gwen Taylor. Gonna, yeah, you're not going to brag on yourself, but I tell you something else. I believe that you started. Do you remember bringing in Fred Lorenz and different NASCAR drivers to drive the some of the uh, pro stock cars? Oh yeah, Joe Wedley, uh, GC Spencer, Junior Johnson. Uh, we had several of them. And uh, <laughs> it's a real good show. Now you couple that with all the stuff that you've done in uh, round track racing, with the different drivers that you've had. That, my friend, is a full plate. I don't know how you've done it, but you achieved a lot in your racing career. Well, Bill, it took a took a lot of work, a lot of thinking, and that you know, more or less, is the backbone of the whole thing. And uh, NASCAR taking the baby grands, you know, they just took it and run it in the ground. But if it left us alone, that little circuit would have made it and been running today. I think so. I enjoyed those races. Oh, yeah, definitely. What it was, in a way, it was a stepping stone for those guys to get into the big leagues. That's yeah, it. Sure it was. Sure it was. And it had very competitive racing, and it was not at that time all that expensive. And the cars, I remember Atlanta, those cars run over 115 miles an hour. Well, what they done, Bill, in my opinion, when they took them that big track, that's when it, uh, that's when it ruined it. Uh, on the, the, uh, the biggest track that they should have went to was about a five-eighths mile. That'd have been uh, Wilkesboro, and Hickory was a good track for him. Uh, Martinsville, that's where, yeah, uh, that's where uh, Ronnie Thomas. Isn't that where uh, Ronnie Thomas got his start? And Phil Parson and some others. That's Ronnie correct. Uh, really got started. Now, Bill, but, uh, if you would tell us a little bit about Pascal's driving style and. Uh, did, is he not the driver that uh, when Ford brought Dick Hutcherson from the Midwest and Hutcherson's going to show these boys here how to get around the dirt track? And, and, and I think he messed with Pascal and Pascal. He showed him a little something. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. We was over at Merville, Tennessee, uh, running, and uh, Jim was leading. Just like a few laps going. And he run up behind Dick Hudson over there. And uh, Dick, on the back stretch, put his brakes on and drained Jim's radiator. And Jim come on back to the pits and never said one word. And never, just like it never happened. Well, we went to Hickory. And Jim had caught Hudson the same way. Hutchinson was leading it, running up on Jim. <laughs> Jim put his brakes on and drained his radiator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
That's about as good as I ever seen. Uh, who was but, uh, Bill getting back to Jim? Yeah. He he absolutely was the number one person to be around. And the deal, all the dealings I ever had with him was good, and I thought the world of the man. Well, you know, Bill, a lot of people say that he needs to be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He also needs to be one of NASCAR's top 50. The problem is, and I want to ask you about this, you know, there's been a lot of comments made here in the past few years, and especially lately, they redoing NASCAR's top 50 drivers, and Many of these people that are doing this have never seen these guys like Pascal and and so many of them that were real, real good. They never seen them race. They don't know how good they they were. But what what would be your comment? What would you recommend that they they might do to get a little recognition to some of the early drivers that really, really could drive a race car and made a big, big contribution to stock car racing? Well. <clears throat> Bill, my comment would be in that there Hall of Fame, uh, too much politics. And uh, just like the first go-around when they started it, uh, there's a lot of different people need to be in there than the, instead of the people that got it. And, and I think that's the biggest problem with it. The way I see it and been told it uh, needs to change. Just like we're talking about Curtis Turner, Jim Pascal, and some of those boys in their days should be in there now. And uh, just like the Bruton Smith down at the World 600, they should be a statue of Curtis Turner out there where you enter the front because that was Turner's ideal. It sure was. But, uh, and look what he sacrificed for happened. it. Look at all he sacrificed for it. Mm-hmm. Sir? Well, it, it's sort of like you, Bill. Uh, there was individuals, uh, yourself and Turner and others, that had a vision. And it was not to be in competition with Bill France, but to help. I mean, look, I mean, the baby grand circuit that you started and, and the other stuff, you never get no recognition for it. And uh, no. what Lim and I are trying to do is 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 put this in archives where future generations come along and, and see what the true story is. Well, you and Tim was working on the right thing, and all the uh... I can't call it work, Bill. I mean, as much as I do, it takes up a lot of time. Yes, but it's a uh, something I love doing and being able to work with Bill Blair and get people like you on here to record these stories. Like Bill says, they're archived and they're going to be around and people can listen to them. And hopefully we're going to get young people, I'm talking about the the millennials and younger, to be able to find out who Jim Pascal was and who Curtis Turner was who Fireball Roberts was, and and you know who you were, because there are probably many of the younger people that don't know who Bill Ellis is, and that's sad. That's correct. Well, I know one and, thing about Bill Ellis. He could build a good race car. Uh, all your uh, stuff worked good. Either, either one of you ever up here at Wilkesburg 
come by and I'll show you my trophy room and that'll help you visualize a lot of things that I haven't even talked about. Hmm. Well, I would love to do that. How did you learn and where did you get your information from or was it your initiative on building those cars because they were, all of them drove good and were very successful? How, how in the world did you accomplish that, being an expert? Well, you know, back years ago, man had, man had to run a little moonshine occasionally. <laughs> and uh, I knew it was going to get into that. <laughs> well, you know, a man learned. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's a lot there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know how so, much I'm with a load of moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so man, as the years years goes on, he can put that toward a, a race car. Yeah, you've let the secret out now. So all future <laughs> car builders, what you got to do is start hauling moonshine to begin with, and then you become <laughs> a chassis man. You mentioned a fellow a while ago, Bill, uh, Westmore. Was that not Westmoreland you're thinking about out of Burlington, North Carolina? That is correct. Now, Westmoreland, if you remember, he used to build cars for my daddy back in the early 50s. And here's what I know about that guy. He built a lot of moonshine hauling cars. He yeah. Built a lot mm-hmm. So what you just said this, you know, goes hand in hand with Westmoreland because that's how he made a living, is building moonshine cars and setting front ends. He had a place down there called B-Hub or B-Line or something like that. Uh, in Burlington, North Carolina, a very nice gentleman. Of course, he's he's passed away now, and he and his wife yeah. are nice people. But uh, I thought that's who you were talking about. But when you get to look at this thing, Bill Ellis, it is a small world in a way, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. Well, Hubert Westmoreland was the one that sued NASCAR over their first strictly stock race, wasn't he? He sure did. They, yeah. they was over there and all week with a helper spring on a 47 Ford Coupe that Glenn Dunaway actually ended up winning the race right. and it disqualified him And uh, at the post-race inspection. And Hubert carried France to, to court and lost. And Ellis, you may remember this, the way that Bill France made up to him. He had that the Plymouth uh, that Johnny Mance uh, one Southern 500. Well, Hubert ended up with that car. And uh, I guess that's how France made up to him because he was not done right. They knew that car had that extra spring leaf on it. 
and all it did was in case you loaded it down with liquor, it helped hold the car up. Other than that, it didn't do nothing if you didn't have liquor on it. Is that the way you remember it, Bill? That's it. So they really yes, didn't sir. do it right. So I guess France, my way of thinking is he made it up to Hubert. And so Hubert ended up having a career in, in NASCAR racing in the uh, late 40s and the 50s up through the 60s. Because didn't he field a Plymouth in the 64 Southern 500? Yeah, that's correct. And Leroy that Yarbrough right, drove it. Leroy yeah. Yarbrough drove it. Yeah, he also uh, had Chevrolets that uh, Jimmy, a guy down yonder around Burlington, um, drove some in 57. In fact, I think he had a Chevrolet deal. So, so I didn't know that you were connected with him. And uh, if you were, you were, was with a really a smart dude because he was good. Uh, Bill, he moved up here and uh, was up here a pretty good little while. And uh, then he decided he wanted to go back to Burlington, and uh, they moved back. And uh, But he is an awful nice fellow to, to be around and to work with. And I learn a whole lot from him. Well, you know, I'm I'm learning a lot listening tonight because I never knew there were dirt drag strips. I had never heard that. So you know, you really <laughs> yeah. you taught me a lesson. What was it like sand or was it red clay or what was it, Bill? Uh, red red clay and some of them mix a little sand with it. They'd water it and put calcium on it run over it and pack it down and uh there's the last uh Tim on uh, on dirt you could really get a hope. And uh but there for a year, maybe two years it was it's a rough ordeal. Well I've learned a lot doing this show in the last sixty five that we've done. But that was one of the things when you were talking about it, it just floored me because I was clueless. <laughs> so thanks for educating me tonight. Yes, sir. <clears throat> well, we run uh, we run several several drag strips on dirt. It's like down at Charlotte Fairgrounds, a Bone Grace down there at Winston Fairgrounds on dirt, uh, Hudson, Gastonia, uh, Shelby. I don't know, just several. Uh, little drag strips we'd run on it. All of them was dirt. And uh, now, I don't know where Bill remembers this or not, but at Daytona uh, in 1969, they had a drag race over on a back stretch. Well, they did, Bill. And I, I won that in that Corvette in my class. Amazing. Yep, I do remember that. But before that, you know where they raced at Daytona drag racing? Right on the beach. On that sand? <clears throat> yeah. On, on the that sand. sand. Sure did. Great. <laughs> and uh, then they raced at the airport. They used a, a searchlight or a beacon light and shine it down the beach or shine it down one of the landing strips at that airport, abandoned airport down there, and that was how they lit it up. 
as long as you stayed in that searchlight beam, you're okay. Once you got outside it, you know you're in trouble. But that's what they used to do. That is just amazing to me, just totally amazing to me. But, you know, Bill Ellis, when, when I sat back here and listened to you talk about, say, what you did at the first Talladega race, placing first and third with those cars, and all you did through the end of your career, did you ever expect both drag racing and NASCAR to be where it is today? Uh. Today, uh, it's fell down, but now up, uh, what, uh, about seven to ten years ago, yeah, I know that uh, I felt like it would be big, and it got big, but it, the last few years, it's took a, a turn for bad, and, uh, and, you know, it's hard the young generation, I think, is one of the biggest problems that's uh, against it today. But another thing is a lot of rules that NASCAR has made hurts it. Mm-hmm. And when they took the pits over, as far as I'm concerned, that's when it really hurt it. And uh, they tell you when you can pit now and can't pit and get you for speeding and all this stuff that they got going on the day that back when I was racing, there wasn't none of that. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess you could call it sanitized, pasteurized, <laughs> and anything else you can throw yeah, in there. And homogenized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, really, it's, it's all got to be politically correct. And uh, they took the racing out of racing. That's uh, what they yeah, did. Yeah, completely. They made, it, they made it more like a... I don't know if you call it playing chess or what it is, but I, it's to me, it's a good time to take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Stars. Yes, sir. When you look at Daytona today and looked at it, well, let's say 15 years ago, when you went to Daytona, you seen a race. Mm-hmm. Today, all you see is just a bunch of cars bunched up until they can wreck. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it is at Daytona and Talladega. And to me, that's not exactly racing, even though I hear a lot of these fans say, oh, 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 we love it. But NASCAR advertises, promotes the big wrecks. I thought they were going to have a heart attack in the Fox booth Sunday because they were almost at the end of the race and had not had the big one yet. That's correct. And that's sad. That is really sad. Yeah, it is, without any question about it. It's it's just, uh, you know, you, you see it and think about it and wonder what they're thinking, uh, making all these changes to hurt it. Yeah. That's Look what it's costing. Look what it costs to build those cars that tear it up. <laughs> what does Unreal. it cost to build one today? What does it cost? Gosh, I don't know. Probably a quarter of a million dollars today. Yeah, I well, heard. Go ahead, Bill. <clears throat> Back, uh, you take uh, when we was running, you'd have uh, about six people, including the driver. Now they was one year 
at Holly Farms, we run 61 races with six people, including including the driver. Today, you run 30 or 32 races, whatever it is, and got 150 men. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me how that could be better than back when I was helping the Holly Farms run, that we could run that many races on that little amount of people. Well, it was more dedication to it then, Bill. You guys had the passion. I mean, your whole lives were wrapped around it. What they've got now are highly paid engineers that run the shop. The drivers fly in in private jets, stay in million-dollar motorhomes, go out and race, and then fly home in private jets. So it's nothing (laughs) like the camaraderie and passion you guys had for it. No, boy. No, boy. When we built engines, we touched every piece of that engine, finessing it, reconditioning it, and and doing what we had to do to it, and then we built the motor. Nowadays, you don't do that. Uh, you got specialists. You got a guy doing the springs. You got a guy doing the rods. You got a guy doing the bearings. You got a whole shop full of people building motors. And it's all assembly line, like you build an automobile in Detroit. And it come all those pieces come down the aisle in the rack, and uh, then they got two assembly guys that just you know put the motor together. They don't know how to set a cam or nothing, but they can bolt it all together. Uh, it's, it's no more ingenuity by the individuals like Waddell Wilson, Lou LaRosa, uh, Bill Ellis. It's just it's entirely different. It's a different culture. It is. Yeah. What was your highlight, Bill? What was the highlight of your whole career? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, the World 600 and back to drag racing, uh, building them pro stock cars, uh, that was the two best things. Well, that World 600 with Jim Pascal, I was at that race. Loved watching that as Plymouth win, you know, the way he did. He was such a great yeah. guy, such a great driver, and that was a good-looking Plymouth. Yeah. We uh, we we was really in cloud nine down there that day. <laughs> yeah, you had it in the groove. You had it, what, what do they call it, uh... In the loop, in the groove, or whatever the deal was. You had it that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was really You good. know, uh, uh, you stop and think about the speed used to the cars, race cars that we run, had eight inches of rubber on the ground. Mm-hmm. And now they got 12 inches of rubber on the ground. And see, from the Days that we race, and most of the speed has come from that tar. Now, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a lot of it. And plus, the the cars are on the ground today. Yeah, it's eight inches against 12 now. Yeah. Hmm. And boy, that makes a difference. We went to Wilkesburg. And uh, with the IndyCar, 
and run it some before we went to Indianapolis. And uh, we set all kinds of records down there. I forget what it was, but uh, with that Indy car down there, it was, it was amazing how fast that thing get around there. Well, you know, Danica Patrick was on an interview today talking about how easy it is to drive a NASCAR Cup car today versus driving an Indy car. I thought that was uh, quite a slap in the face to some of the NASCAR Cup drivers, and it was also a slap in the face to her when you think about it. If they were so easy to drive, why was her highest finish sixth? Yeah. It must have been a little harder for her than others. <laughs> yes. Bill, that was not nice. That sure was not nice. <laughs> well, mm. it's, oh, it's, it's, well. it jumps out at you. Well, we've got to wind this up, Bill, because I've got to get my second hour guest on here. But I want to thank you for joining us tonight. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I've got every idea that we're going to get you back sometime in the future because I don't think you've even begun to touch on the stories you've got. But I want to thank well, you very much. Well, I want to thank you for coming into my home and, uh, and doing this here and, uh, if you ever have the opportunity, I want you to come by and look at my wards and stuff uh, here in my trophy room, and that would give you a lot more about what I have and done in the past. Well, we're going to set that up because I want to see it, so you better polish up those trophies and get your daughter up there to help you. And, <laughs> and you get Bill out in front of our building them little four-cylinders because he's going to make it hard on somebody. <laughs> 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 okay, Bill Ellis. Thank you a whole bunch. And for those who don't know, Bill Ellis is also in the North Carolina Drag Race Hall of Fame. Great. That is great. And, and, I, and I really appreciated that. Yeah. Well, you and, deserve to be in there, my friend. For all you've uh, done. This past year, I wanted to go down there and I had pneumonia. and mm, couldn't wow. get there, but this coming year, I'm hoping to make it. Well, we hope you do, too. It's always a pleasure to be around you, Bill, and look forward to coming up to see you and visit with you a little bit. Boys, thank you for your time. I have okay, enjoyed Bill, it you. immensely. Thank you both, Bills. And I'm going to move on now to the second hour of the show. Uh, Bill, you said you had to go back to work, didn't you, Bill Blair? I'm going back to work. Okay. Thanks right, for your efforts later. tonight. Thanks, Bill Ellis. And we will catch you all at a later date. And thank you. All right. Good night, guys. Oh, man.
All right, let me see if I can get Mr. Cody Densmore on here, and we will see what he's got to talk about. I imagine he's got something to talk about Talladega, I would assume, anyway. So, if he answers the phone, if he doesn't, you know, he gets cut off a lot over there. Cody! Cody! Hello, Tim. Hello, Cody. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I hope you're doing doing well as well. As well. I'm doing super califragilisticexpialidocious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what you want to talk about this week? Well, you know, there's a lot to talk about. Um, uh, I, now, I didn't get to that. see the the Vega race, but I, I I did see enough, and you know, done my research. But just away from the racing aspect, there was a lot to. Um, there was a lot to cover. You know, we, we've got, I wrote down just some quick things off the top of my head. We got Arca, we've got Ford, we got James Hilton, we've got the Cup race, we got the Gallagher suspension. Um, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and cut into the Cup race. Um, you know, and from the places and parts I saw, I thought it was a pretty good Talladega race. Now, obviously, you had that big wreck with. Uh, I believe it's 22 laps to go. Took 14 right. cars out, and of course, you know we talked about that last week. The fans love it, and unfortunately, it it tears up a lot of stuff. And there's so many guys, um, you know, the Penske guys. I can I can think of that were doing so well, you know, taken out just by something very minute uh, or very, you know, a small mistake. You know, so many great cars were taken out. You look at Martin Truex Jr. He has. Not a good track record on the plate tracks. He's got a great record on everything else. But when it comes to Talladega and Daytona, uh, Martin Truex Jr. just doesn't have doesn't have the great luck he's had on the intermediate tracks. So, you know, I feel for him. Uh, a lot of the other guys that got taken out had a great shot to win. Um, now, one of my picks was going to be a Penske car. And, you know, I, I said last week that that Brad was probably the the at least my my prediction to win and all I had to do was just add one more two and I would have been fine. But, um, Logano got that win and I believe it was 364 days since he last won at Richmond. So I think that's right. You know, yes. good redemption for that team. Uh, Penske is just doing great, but you know, also on my list, I had Ford's doing very well. And you look at the top 10 and I think that six of the top 10 were Ford's. And they just really have their game together. And did you know that this was the tenth race Ford has won out of the last twelve restrictor plate tracks? So out of the last twelve plate tracks, Ford has won ten. And I, I didn't did realize that realize until that. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that until um, you know I was looking up that fact. And you know you think about it, and the only other ones to win off the top of my head is uh, Austin Dillon, you know, in the five hundred, yeah. and I, I can't quite think of who else it would be without having to go back and, and look. Um, well, didn't Stenhouse but, win Talladega last year? Oh, that's a yeah, Ford. Uh, that was, yeah, that's a Ford anyway. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. He won that and the uh, July Daytona race. So I would venture to say without doing my hand of research, um, the other one would probably be the Daytona 500 of 2016 when Benny Hamlin won. And that was in a Toyota. Yeah. And um, so, 
anyway, you know, they're doing very well. All the Stuart Haas cars are doing very well. And I know I talked about that last week, but they just really have their game together. And for a long time, it was Kevin Harvick was always the, I'm not going to say the best driver, but he, he was the most consistent, you know, and especially last year, um, the first year with, uh, Tony stepping back, you know, it, it wasn't, um, it just seemed like the number four car was the only one that was doing well, but he didn't do anything until the mid part of the season, you know, the, the summer stretch and into the later part of the season. Um, but I mean, you look at Clint Boyer, you look at, uh, Amarola, Kurt Busch, all of them are doing exceptional and they're all four cars are in the top 11 in the points. I think Amarola is 11th. Um, he, he might've cracked the top 10, but last I looked he was 11th. And that's pretty remarkable for all four cars to be in the top 11. Whereas Hendrick, Hendrick is, um, you know, we talked about this before, they are just not getting their full potential. And I still think it's that new Camaro body. Uh, Personally, I wouldn't think a body has that much impact on it, but apparently it does. You know, I I believe they are still doing the same engine as they were. Uh, And I think a lot of it is just bad luck. I mean, you look at uh, Jimmy Johnson and William Byron. Both of those guys were running you know, pretty decent at Talladega, and they got together and triggered that big wreck. Jimmy Johnson still came back to finish 14th after all that, after all those shenanigans. So that's, that's still pretty remarkable. You know, Chase, I think, is obviously the best for Hendrick right now. Um, he's finished third, and he was, he was doing very good at Talladega. Of course, he is a, he's a good plate, plate, uh, plate driver, plate rubber. And, you know, he's got good and good mentors between uh, Dale Jr. and his father and, you know, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson have their fair shares of, of plate wins. So he's definitely got the concept down. And, you know, I don't know if you paid attention to that last, we'll call it a quarter mile, you know, coming out of turn four, he was uh, fifth or sixth or something like that. And in the trial, he kind of cut the middle and came up to finish third. Yeah. He, he timed that very, very good. And, you know, I know he was, some people are saying he was complaining, he was whining. You know, he just, I feel like he just was stating the facts that he couldn't get any drafting help from anybody behind him, and he was surprised that the Fords uh, didn't try and pass each other. Um, that might have been team orders. You know, I, I feel like that could have been team orders, just if the guys in the lead don't pass. You know, I, that's a lot of, I'd rather have a, I'd rather finish second than try and make a pass and fall back to 18th. Cause, yes. You know, Lord knows how they go. You can try and make a move. Nobody goes with you. And in one lap, you're back to the last car of that lead line. Yeah, well, wasn't, so possible. It, yeah, wasn't it Kyle Busch that was running third and moved to the high side to pass and went back to 24th and a half a lap? Yeah, and he he finished uh, 13th or 14th or something like that. So he finished pretty far back there, too, of the running cars. And, of course, you know, like I said, with that big wreck, there wasn't a whole lot of running cars at the end. And I got to give a shout-out to another one of our Georgia guys, David Reagan, who, yeah. you know, quietly sunk up the sixth place for a finish, and that's great. And especially that Furniture Row team, I think their uh, Furniture Row is definitely better than they were a couple of years ago. You know, they're, they're more consistently in the lower 20s positions or maybe in the teens. Uh, they are an underfunded team. But it is they good are. to see them do well on the on the plate tracks. Well, and you especially know David Reagan, just such an incredible guy. 
He is, and there was a point uh, probably before the halfway mark where Reagan was up there flirting around with uh, third, fourth, and fifth place, doing really good job. But you're right. He is a super good guy. Well, the whole Reagan family is, and yeah. you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to know Ken pretty well and you know meet David a few times and, and definitely Adam, but they're just regular people, and they are just so genuine that they pit of southern hospitality you know they are uh especially ken his, his dad so just great great uh great family you know no i totally agree i get to hang around them at back to the roots especially because david has an auction that he raises money i think for the shriners hospital mm-hmm. so he he and, and larry and adam are always there and adam is just he, like you said, the epitome of Southern hospitality every time you see him. No, I, I totally agree. And, and not to get off topic of, of our current NASCAR news, but the last time I talked to Ken, um, Ken Reagan during the Moonshine Festival back in October, and Dogville, I, might have, I might have said it on the air then. I don't quite remember, but I'll go ahead and say it again for those who didn't, haven't heard or didn't catch it or whatever. Uh, Ken was telling me that he had the very first grandfather clock for Martinsville. Because uh, we were talking about the, the cup race that weekend was at Martinsville back late October. And Ken was in Dawsonville on Saturday, and then he was going to drive up uh, to Martinsville on Sunday morning. And he was telling me that he acquired that um, that very first Martinsville trophy that Fred Lorenzen won in 1965. And I had no idea. I'd never heard that before. Um, and then lo and behold, the very next day on the race day, you know, NASCAR race day, they played a clip where they went to Ken's house and, and interviewed him about that trophy and how the grandfather clock came to be about. So I thought that was a very interesting piece of history that I, I had no idea of before. See, that, that is a very good bit of history that I had no idea of. And it's like I said mm-hmm. earlier tonight in the first segment, I learned so much I did not know in the first segment that I can't imagine where this is going to go in the future. Well, I wish I could remember how he got that grandfather clock. He told me he acquired it, and I want to say from Fred himself uh, back when Ken was was racing. I don't remember, so I'm not going to say something that I'm not sure of, but regardless, he had that very first martinsville trophy uh, the martinsville grandfather clock was in 65 was the first year uh that they started awarding the grandfather clock so i thought that was incredibly interesting so. i do too but that's probably the most sought after trophy in nascar racing i guess everybody wants one yeah i would say so and i've always liked how they do that in other tracks um they always have a lot of interesting uh, trophies and a lot of them regard to the sponsors. You know, the, I remember when Cobalt used to sponsor the, the races years ago. They the, the, would get this huge wrench. It was probably a a, a four foot long wrench. You know, yeah. um, I always like Texas how the winner gets the the cowboy hat and the and the pistols. You for the pole winner at Texas, you get a shotgun. Um, you know, they always have these these neat trophies. When Bass Pro Shop used to sponsor a race, you get this big mounted bass fish, and you know California, you win a. There's a, a little woody car 
pulling a diecast of the winning car. You know, Dover were coming to, you got the big monster statue. But Martinsville's always been that one uh, yeah. for the last well over 50 years. Did a great about the clock. And I want to say there was a couple years, maybe they gave a grandmother clock being the smaller wall hanging one. I don't remember. But obviously the big grandfather clock is something they always go after. And it's such a cool thing. So. Yeah, that was one that Dale Jr. really coveted. And he finally got it. Yeah, he did. He did. I remember when he won that race, they were bouncing up on the stage, and I thought that clock was going to fall over. <laughs> um, he was very excited about that. So yeah, that was. Uh, and you think about. Yeah, I was reading an article today of drivers who have more than nine wins at a certain track, and they're talking about Jimmy Johnson going to Dover this weekend because uh, he's got eleven wins at Dover, and they listed nine drivers that all have more than nine uh, victories at a certain track, and one of them was Martinsville. Jimmy's got nine victories at Martinsville. Jeff Gordon's got nine at Martinsville. Uh, Richard Petty has 15 wins at Martinsville, which is just hard to imagine that. But That really is, but you know, I remember a lot of the, what a force when Richard was running him and I was listening to him on the radio and remembering, you know, it was just amazing. And and he was running against the people like Fred Lorenzen and Marvin Panch, and Marvin mm-hmm. Panch was tough on that racetrack. So, you know, he has a lot of good memories at Martinsville. Well, Martinsville's always been one to eat the tires just yeah. because they of the track. So you definitely have to conserve your equipment. And, you know, you look at a lot of the races back in the day, even into the 80s and 90s, and, you know, it was so tough that you might have only had five and they left at the finish. You know, a lot of they either wrecked or broke down or, or something of that nature. And of course, you didn't have your luck dog, so if you got a lap down, it was very hard to get a lap back. But, um, you know, it was very stiff competition, uh, especially to be having us in the back of the pack getting all those laps down. And you can be running the top 10 and, you know, one or two laps down, which is hard to imagine nowadays. Well, I you do know, think that had- there is more competition, though. Yeah, we had, I did, had a conversation with somebody just earlier this week, Monday, I think, about how racing back in the day was so stacked because a car would win two or three laps ahead, and then another friend got in on the conversation and said, well, look at it this way. If they didn't have waiver rounds and lucky dogs, you would have races mm-hmm. right now where the lead car may be a lap or two ahead, or you may have two or three cars a lap or two ahead. Well, you know, you look at this season alone, and a common theme I've noticed with this season is a lot of long green flag runs on your intermediate tracks. You know, you look back to Atlanta was that way in Texas, uh, California, Mm -hmm. and on those long green flag runs, I vividly remember that in one of those tracks, I wonder if it was Texas, it might have been Vegas or Atlanta, some, you know, some of those tracks, they didn't have a lot of caution except for your mid-race breaks, your, your stage endings. And, I mean, they were getting down to seven cars lead lap at one of these races, and I can't yes. remember which track that was. But that's the most extreme one I've seen. Now, once the caution came out, the leaders pitted, the, the last cars stayed around, got their lap back, whatever. You know, it got back up to 15 and 16 cars on the lead lap. Um, but I, I think with these green flag runs, it's just, 
it's producing the same thing that it was back in the 60s, you know. And so a lot of new fans are asking the older fans, saying, how can you say that racing was, was great back in the day when you only had cars finished on the lead lap? Yeah. But I could say the same thing now. How can you say the racing is great now when you've got seven cars on the lead lap? So yeah, see, that, that was the argument I had it, with my buddy. It, it's, it's a double-edged sword there. And you can argue both ways. You know, I, you can argue that the racing is better nowadays. But it's definitely closer together. I do think that the competition is stronger now than it might have been. And we'll, we'll take 50 years ago and say 1968. I think there are more competitive cars. There's more competitive teams. Because um, you take 1968, for example. Um, you had Holman and Moody and uh, Nicholson Engineering and Petty Enterprises and uh, Bud Moore, you had your, your heavy hitters, but there wasn't as many as there are now. If they had the playoffs back then, I don't think they could fill all 16 playoff spots with competitive race cars. That's a good point, Cody. I hadn't thought about it, but you know, in reality today, you've got Hendricks, you got JGR, you got Penske, you got uh, Richard Childress. That's your four teams. Right there. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, it was the Petties, and it was the Wood Brothers, and it was Cotton Owens, and it was Bud Moore. And we actually had more teams back in the day. And I think right. what they do this, I, I, I don't even want to get into that. You know, it just aggravates me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, talking about uh, the Wood Brothers, you know, the Wood Brothers are are not exactly the Wood Brothers anymore, you know, just more along a a Penske subsidiary, which is is good and bad. I I do like it to where we can can see the 21 be competitive again and back up front, uh, back running in contention. Because I was really afraid when Ryan Blaney stepped out of the 21 car and went over to the 12 that we kind of, we probably lost the competitive edge that the 21 had seen over the last couple of years. But, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, who who's impressed me is Paul Menard, and he ha- he hasn't really got a lot of praise for it or a lot of mention, but I feel like he really has done well with the Penske Wood Brother combination, and that's good to see the twenty one is still competitive. Maybe in the top fifteen, maybe he's not you know right there and in, in the top five like uh, Ryan Blaney put the car in, but it, it's good to see, um, and it's good to see that they're doing well, you know. So I'm very glad about that. Um, you know, you, and you mentioned Penske as, as opposed to Roush. And, you know, we all know Roush is not what it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, Roush for all these years was such a powerhouse. And, you know, the match is just not there anymore. And I, I'd, I'd forgotten we had we talked about it last week because I wrote it down on my list to talk about. Uh, I'd, I'd remember that we did indeed discussed this last week, but, you know, Kenseth joining Roush, again, I think is a great step in the right direction. So I am excited to see what he will bring, and uh, not this week, but the following week. Uh, so not this week at Dover, but in Kansas will be his first race. So I'm excited to see him. You know, they they, re- they formally done the press conferences this week, or in the end of last week, and um I think he's definitely going to bring that team in the right direction to maybe get back on board of where they should be. So does that put Trevor Bain out of a seat in 2019? 
Um, we'll have to see how Matt Kent approaches the car. I don't know if, if Trevor Bain is going to take time off. You know, I understand he has best, but then I also quote from him saying that he's 100% healthy and he's ready to get back into the car. So I'm not sure exactly what he's going to be doing. But well, Kansas, I, I, Kansas is a night race, so you'll get to see that. Oh, for sure. I am excited about that. I like night races. I know you do. I know you do. All right, what about the ARCA race and James Hilton? Now, I did not get to see the ARCA race. I didn't get to watch it, but I saw the finish, and it was the closest finish in ARCA racing history. Yeah, I, I don't have that. the exact <laughs> figures for you, but it was a great, great finish. And Talladega is very good for that. Um, you know, very unfortunate about James Hilton, and especially more unfortunate that it was both him and his son yeah. at the same time. You know, it's such a big loss. I never got to meet James Hilton, but it was so cool that he was in his 80s and still racing, you know, or, you know, still getting in there once in a while. I guess he didn't race at Talladega, but, you know, he still was very active in the ARCA community uh, up until, you know, this past weekend. So it's a very big loss, and it, it's amazing to think that he was 83 or 84 and still doing what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I have so. never heard anybody say a negative word about James Elton. Never. Well, you're absolutely right. I've never heard that either. He's a great driver for what he was. And to think a driver from still today that was racing back in the 60s, he was runner-up five times in the championship, three or five times. I don't remember off the top of my head. And, of course, only two cup wins, but Ark is definitely where he found his home. You know, and he such a such a great long career even if he didn't win a lot he was having fun doing what he was doing yes, for all was. these years yes he surely was and uh so we'll we'll go from there and talk about nascar's acquisition of arca and that was kind of su- of a surprise and a shock because i've been kind of thinking that for the last couple of years but i was actually surprised to hear them announce they were going to do that um, and that they announced that Friday morning before the Talladega race. And, you know, I watched a video yesterday, uh, a guy I subscribed to, it, just his weekly thoughts about the race and upcoming race, whatever. And he had a lot of good ideas about it, where basically he was saying if, if he was in charge of this NASCAR ARCA merger, uh, he would merge the two and get rid of the K&N series and he would put them only on short tracks, you know, nothing over a mile. That's exactly what I was and, hoping. He would try and do it to where um, plan it for a local show. So that way you're coming out to watch the ARCA or NASCAR, whatever it's going to be called, and you get introduced to your, your hobby stocks, your late model drivers, and what have you. So mm-hmm. that was great. Now, one of my favorite things about this was, uh, this guy was saying that he would have it broadcasted on Facebook Live or YouTube every single race, and you can do that even with sponsors. You know, they they still have commercials on the Facebook Live and YouTube, and that would be great because a lot of people uh, they don't get a chance to watch the race like myself. But I I could uh, you know check in on the on YouTube Live or 
or the Facebook Live or whatever and check in every so often. If you go on NASCAR.com and want to catch up on the race, it'll give you an MRN uh, broadcast or the PRN, whatever's playing that weekend. It'll give you the leaderboard, but it won't let you actually watch it. You know, that's, yeah. a, that's a subscription. You've got to pay for that. Sometimes they'll give you uh, a certain driver's roof camera or in-car camera, uh, or they might give you a backstretch camera that doesn't follow around or you know, anything like that. But that would be a big, a big seller for me is to have those races on Facebook Live or uh, YouTube, something accessible for the fans. Um, what else? There was a couple other things like that, but I couldn't agree with him more. I wouldn't see the races stepped up to two or 300 laps instead of 100 laps or miles, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, I remember talking about this just a few weeks ago that I would like to see where the K&N and the cars were interchangeable because even though they look the same, there's enough different about them to where you can't run uh, the same cars. You know, just like back in the day when you had the Winston Cup and the Bush Series cars before they swapped the bodies, you know, to the car of tomorrow and whatnot, they looked identical, but they were different enough on the underside to where you couldn't run a cup car in Bush or vice versa. So I think that's the that's the problem right now is they're, they're different enough to where you can do that. And I, I remember mentioning a couple weeks ago that I'd like to see interchange. So maybe that might happen now. Um, I don't think that Arca needs to do Talladega or Daytona. Uh, it just seems like to me that every Arca, Daytona, and Talladega race is just a, an absolute wreck fest. Yeah. And, and I say that because I'd say over the last five to ten years, Arca has, the, the plate tracks have been solely used for up and coming NASCAR drivers in order to get their speedway license right you know that is a fact yep. when when uh when chase came along he spent 2013 in the trucks you know part-time truck schedule he got the nationwide deal for 2014 okay uh for him to compete in the 2014 nationwide opener at daytona he had to have prior speedway experience so they entered him in arca car he drove that one race at Daytona and ARCA, and then he was granted to drive the NASCAR way race. Now, that wasn't Chase's only ARCA um, race. You know, he'd done that a lot coming up through the ranks of late month and whatnot, but I feel like that here lately is the biggest reason they have the Daytona and Talladega races because that's, that's like your proving ground or your driving test in order to get into NASCAR. But well, it have... always ends up in such a junkyard, you know? Yeah, it is, and I hadn't thought about that exact premise, but you're probably exactly right. But, you know, what I'm hoping ARCA is going to do in this merger is not get away from the few dirt tracks they run, because I'd like to see that give NASCAR kind of access back to the dirt tracks in a more mm -hmm. economical way. Cause now, run I think they only run dirt tracks now, if, if I'm... Not How many? How many? I th I think they just run one. I I don't remember. Uh, oh, I, I want to it say three. it's just that one up in. Now you you could be right. Now I don't I don't follow Arca because Arca is really hard to keep up with. You know, unless you yes. follow it every week, they don't show it on TV like NASCAR, and 
you know, you never read much about it. So you could be absolutely right, Tim. Um, I, what I would like to see is if they could do Eldora the same night or the same week as the trucks go. So the trucks go on Wednesday. If you could have the ARCA race either earlier in the evening, say start at 5 o'clock, race, race until 7.30. The truck race starts at 8.30 maybe. Just an idea. That'd probably be hard to do, though, and I, and I say that because on the Wednesday night Eldora truck race, yeah, I remember they start during the day. You know, they start racing the heat races, hmm. the eliminations at like 5.30, and then they start the main race at 8.30 or 9, whatever it is. So that might be hard to do, but if they could do a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday event, I think that'd be a great seller. I think uh, and the other thing, if they could get with the Charlotte Dirt Track and have that a part of the You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The All-Star Weekend or the Coke 600 Weekend. That would be a home run. Yes, it would. I would have the to Charlotte Dirt that. Track is right across the road from yep. the Speedway. Uh, on the All Star Weekend, the All Star Race is Saturday night. The Truck Race is Friday night, and then the following week you have the Xfinity on Saturday and Coke Six Hundred on Sunday. So if you have that Dirt Track Race the Friday before the Coke Six Hundred, that would just add to the. Uh, I don't know if I want to say legacy or add to the glamour of the weekend. Just add to the festival of speed, whatever you want to call it. But that would be a home run in my book is if you could uh, get them on more dirt tracks and have them to offset or benefit the cup races. I totally agree. How many cars race in ARCA now? 40 or 45? No, 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 no. No, they're probably in the 30 to 35 range. Oh, okay. So similar, similar to Cup, you know. I, you know, you're. Oh, go ahead. No, I subscribe to the ARCA site, whatever it's called. Uh-huh. But I quit going to it probably a year or so ago because it is so hard. You know, they run a race on Saturday night, and I go looking for results on Sunday, and it's not there. You look for it Monday, and it's not there. By Tuesday, I've forgotten about it. Then when I come up yeah. for the next weekend's race, I say, oh, well, that's who it was. But you're right. They're not on television. You can't get any press coverage of them. But now that NASCAR is in on it, maybe we'll be able to remedy that. Well, I definitely hope so, and I just hope that they're not going to let it die down. I mean, I would venture to say it would merge with the K&N series. You know, again, uh, it, it's hard to say. I would like to see them go back to more bigger tracks. I can't say that because you remember 20 to 30 years ago, ARCA was just as big as the Winston Cup Series. Yes. You know, they ran at Charlotte. They ran at Atlanta. They ran at... Um, Rockingham. Well, I guess it, I guess they still run at Pocono, but Rockingham. Um, I don't know if they ever ran at Texas, but, you know, they, they would always run the... And, of course, this is kind of just the opposite of what we were just talking about. Now, I think about it. You know, back in the 80s, 
Archer would run a 500-mile race at, say, Atlanta on Saturday. They'd run the Cup 500-mile race on Sunday. And the Bush Series would run back at the small short tracks. Mm-hmm. And it's, it kind of swapped on us. You know, the Xfinity is running on Saturday, and the Arca is running on the short tracks, um, which I didn't didn't quite think of that until until just now. But I I do hope that they are going to lead it in the right direction. I did read that the current operations for Arca are going to stay in place until the 2019 or until the end of the 2019 season. So right. Right. whatever they're doing now it's going to stay in place and they're going to keep running it the same way through the 2019 season. I don't know if that's because of sponsorships uh, or track agreements, uh, what have you, maybe television arrangements. But I would say late 2019, early 2020, go ahead and start looking for ARCA to make some sort of announcement. If it's we call to ARCA, what they're going to do differently. But I don't think we're going to see anything different for another year and a half or so. But well, it'll definitely be exciting. It, it's it's very interesting to know what they may have up their sleeve to, you know, maybe bring back the, the grassroots. And, you know, another thing who I didn't have this uh, written down on my notes, but one guy that would be an awesome person to have as an uh, advice, I guess you could call him, would be Kevin Harvick. And oh, I say yeah. that because Kevin Harvick is such a grassroots style guy. You know, this year, you know, right after he won, he was saying how much NASCAR needs to go back to his roots and help the grassroots drivers uh, make it up. You know, he done that K&N race out west when they were on the West Coast Swing, and he kind of saw how underfunded a lot of these guys are. And a lot of the interviews I saw were people coming up to him, drivers coming up to him and saying, thank you for coming out here to give us some attention to help yeah. bring recognition to what we're doing here. And, you know, I remember he went on air in one of the TV shows or the pre-race, post-race, whatever. And he was saying how much NASCAR needs to pay attention to the grassroots racing. Go back to the short tracks. Help these drivers up before they get into the trucks. And maybe the ARCA deal will maybe help that out, but he would definitely be a great guy to assist with that, to have a, a team on, you know, whatever he may have planned, he would be a great candidate for that. Yeah, he really would. I would agree with that. But you know something I just thought of, Cody? You know, Monster Energy's contract it runs out next year. And mm-hmm. the, they just renewed for next year. So now NASCAR is going to have to worry about ARCA, NASCAR, everything else getting back the title sponsor. Do you think ARCA is going to be an asset for that? Well, you know, that could be very true. That could be very true. I really hope that they're not going to absorb it, realize after next year that it's it's too much money or effort or whatever and shut down because the arc has been around since 1953 okay i was gonna say two so we're right there 53 so they've got such a history you know it used to be called the mark organization um help me out on what they used to stand for mark i don't know but john john markham was the uh president the owner of i want to say 
that Mark was the Midwest Auto Racing Club, I think. Now, no I could be completely wrong on that, uh, but, you know, it, I, know it did, I know it did originate in the Midwest. Yes. So, now, another question I've got for you, Tim, if we're talking about subsidiaries and downsizing and absorbing, do you think we're ever going to see in the next few years one of our top series drop? If so, you know, I've, I've thought about the truck series being dropped because I don't know that they even get it. That, I know that you and I agree that's the closest thing we have to ground grassroots mm-hmm. racing. But if they're going to bring ARCA in, possibly, but the trucks. Now, the Xfinity series, if they let the, grand, if they let the cup drivers drive in it, it does not put any more people in the stands than having the Xfinity drivers run on their own. The Xfinity drivers on their own put in on a lot better race, I think, in my opinion, a lot better race. But either way, right, there's right. nobody in the stands. Nobody. And I think a lot of that has to do with your locations. Now, years ago, you can you can look at the the nationwide or bush or whatever it was called at this point in time we'll take charlotte okay you look at the you take you pick the spring or the fall charlotte race and the nationwide slash bush race the saturday race or the friday race depending on which one um was just as full as the cup race was yes you know and now you look at it and you can you can't count how many empty but you can count how many people are there yeah, and it's it's very embarrassing to the sport. It's very embarrassing to the sponsors. Um, if I'm the owner of heck McDonald's, and I'm going to sponsor an Xfinity car, and I'm there at the track, and it, it's not a now it's a beautiful day, beautiful weekend. Uh, the the racing is great, but there's no fans in the stands. Why would I continue to sponsor it? Like you know, even if you get your airtime on TV. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the the presence of the fans there. Well, so if I, I was going to pick one, I would drop the Xfinity. Yeah, you might might have a good point there. Drop the Xfinity. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I can see them dropping the Xfinity, but I don't know that they've even discussing it or even got anything to do with it. But the point is the oversaturation on a weekend of racing when you got the Xfinity mm-hmm. Series drivers alone putting on a great show. But say you go to, like you go to Charlotte, and there's a truck race Friday, Xfinity race Saturday, and a cup race Sunday. Now, back in the day, I would have loved that because I would have been there for all three. But I can't do that now because trying mm-hmm. to afford a ticket to them, I, I just couldn't do it, you know. Right, right. Now, a lot of it, uh, a lot of tracks are giving out tickets. You know, you, know, you buy a cup, cup ticket and give you the, the whole weekend for free, you know, yeah. the other races. Uh, or it's, you know, a very, very small fee. But I didn't quite think of this until you said it. You're running the same track three nights in a row. So even though it's different drivers and different tracks, it's going to be very similar racing. Mm-hmm. So. If it's anything like what we've seen this year, the last couple of years, with your long green flag runs on your mile and a half, uh, not a lot of passing until the, until it restarts, 
Why do I want to watch that three three days in a row? Because you don't have anything else to do. That would be exactly the reason <laughs> you do it. I I guess so. Uh, of course, I think we all see the Xfinity go back to the, your short tracks, but maybe this is what ARCA ARCA is going to be doing. And of course, they already go to the short tracks, but they just don't have the publicity that NASCAR does. Now, was it announced that ARCA was failing? Was it going bankrupt? Why did NASCAR absorb ARCA? This is something I didn't, I never found a reason about. All right. As far as I knew, as far as everything I read, ARCA was not having any financial issues. So I think, you know, in my twisted hmm. way of thinking of things, that NASCAR bought ARCA so it could build up NASCAR stock. Now, take that for whatever's hmm. worth coming from my mouth, but, you know, it's the type of thing with the short track racing and the success ARCA would have. You know, they had they had a pretty good number of people in the stands, you know, at Daytona and Talladega. But I don't get to see the other races, so I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, I, I I hate to say I don't know what Arca's schedule is like. You know, it, it, like you said, it's, it's hard to keep up with. You know for sure that Daytona and Talladega are going to be on television. And uh, if they still run in Michigan, I know I've seen their race on TV before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of others that might run. But it, it's hard to keep up with. It's a lot like a national late model division even though they're not late model cars and they're still your heavy stock cars it's hard to get your information on and you've got to rely on other news sources other than arca itself so i don't know it just i definitely hope that nascar can do something with it and not not uh falter on the first couple of years i think like i said earlier i think if they can merge the the k&m series and the arca Maybe still keep your regional divisions, your east and your west, because that, that does make sense for smaller teams. But if they could just make it to where you can run the same cars, you know, if I'm a Canaan West driver, you know, I race California, Nevada, Oregon tracks, and, you know, Evergreen up in Washington State. If I race those tracks and I want to go ARCA racing, I can take my car to an ARCA race and I can compete. That just makes sense. You know, it definitely cuts down on the cost. But at the same time, like I said earlier, if you run shorter races rather than 500 miles, you can conserve on your tires, your expenditures, you know, your your usables at the track. So I I hope they listen to any of the fans that are talking, making suggestions. And and definitely it seems like NASCAR is is listening to the drivers and fans, you know, in the last couple of years. And I I do hope that uh, Kevin Harvick you know, we'll have a point. I do like Kevin Harvick. I will say 10 years ago, I didn't like Kevin Harvick, but I, I've gained a lot of respect for him over the last uh, three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only because he's driving for Tony Stewart, who was my guy, but you know, it, it took me a little bit to appreciate Kevin Harvick. And I hate to say that, but you know, I think he's definitely matured a lot, but I do like Kevin Harvick and I do like what he has to say. He definitely makes sense in his, Comments like I, I stated earlier about going back to grassroots racing and how NASCAR needs to help the the little driver that could, and I think this is a step in the right direction. Right, I totally agree, and I'm just like you. I had not a lot of respect for Kevin Harvick, 
But over the last four or five years, I have certainly developed respect for him. And when I heard him talking about going back to the grassroots and helping out some of these guys who are trying to make it in racing, yeah, I'm 100% behind that. And I'm 100% behind everything he espouses about it. Well, and, and he, I think he's a good speaker on this subject because he came from that, you know, yeah. he was discovered through that, I can't think of the name. It was every, it was it December, January out in Arizona and it was uh, back in the mid nineties and they'd have this, this race and my mind's just drawing a blank here, but that's where a lot of your, your cup guys would go and they would scout out talent. And I just can't remember the name of this, this event, but it was basically like a speed weeks out in Arizona in November, December timeframe. But, you know, he was discussed out there. And if you ever heard his biography or, you know, how he got into racing, you know, Kevin Harvick was go-kart racer. Uh, he wanted to go late model racing. They didn't have enough money. So his dad sold some cars to just get him to the track. There was a story I heard when he got his first late model. <laughs> he had to go to the track and borrow somebody's truck that was already there, go home, get his truck, or go, go home with his trailer and bring him back to the track. And, you know, they raced, didn't do very well. Uh, his friend that had the truck home, and then Kevin had to go back home, get the truck, get, get the trailer back, get the car back, and go to school the next day. So he definitely came from... Your, your most bottom level of racing that you could possibly think of, and look where he is now. Well, see, I, I think that's because he's got a lot. Of, he got a lucky break when he got the, the mm -hmm. Dale Earnhardt ride, but he earned it. I mean, he earned that. He did. And he, did. And he had a, I think it threw him into a position there for several years where it made him an ass, you know? It really did. Yeah. But then... <laughs> Yeah. He, like you said, he matured, and he has come about, and he, and he's really got his head put on right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I I definitely thought that uh, years ago, and I I was not a Harvick fan, but you know, like I said, I I do have a lot of respect for him now and what he's accomplished, and he's just a a good veteran, mature driver. So you can well, always thanks. depend on him. Now, thanks to Fatty K. Lilly, that race we cannot think of was the Copper Classic. Mm -hmm. Copper Classic. Was that what it was? Okay. Okay. That's what she just I, told I'd me. I heard about it so, so much before, and I just couldn't quite recall the name of it. Yep. That was it. Now, now that she's brought it up, I do remember. I don't remember specifics of any of the events there, but I do remember the Copper Classic being run. Well, you know, that was, that was like the snowball derby, um, you know, back uh, out west. You know, a lot, of, a lot of your NASCAR guys went out there, and that's where you discovered people. Uh, you know, Ron Hornaday was found out there by Dale Earnhardt, and you got Kevin Harvick. Greg Biffle uh, came from out there in, in that, that race. Uh, I think Kurt Busch was discovered during one of those races. So a lot of your West Coast guys, that's how they, they got their cup rides. You know, they, they were discovered by certain people and put in the developmental programs, went to cup. Um, so if, that, if that's what it was called, you know, it, it's, it's a great thing. just like the snowball derby. There's been so many late model drivers doing well in the snowball derby that 
you know, look at Eric Jones. You know, Eric wow. Jones, I remember I was at that race in 2012 when he outrun Kyle Busch in a late model. This is when he still got him for his family team. Uh, and then it wasn't long after that that he was put on Kyle Busch's development program. And look where he is now. He's driving number 20 Joe Gibbs car, one of the best ones out there. Yeah. So the, the last thing I have tonight, uh, I've, I've pretty much covered all all my other little check boxes here, but um, the Spencer Gallagher suspension, I think that was probably the biggest news this week, you know, since, since the race has happened. Um, and that was, that was very shocking. You know, uh, he won the Xfinity race at Talladega on Saturday and then Tuesday morning, I think it was Wednesday morning, uh, was announced. He was indefinitely suspended from NASCAR. So very surprising on that one. Did you know that was the first lap and only lap he has ever led in NASCAR racing? Was the last lap I didn't time. know that. That's what they said. At I the didn't end of know that. that. Wow. Yeah. But that is sad um, because he was so happy. That whole crew, that whole team was ecstatic, you know. Well, very much so. And, you know, uh, GMS Motorsports, which are GMS Racing, uh, the Gallagher's team, you know, they, they – right dabbled in, tr- in trucks you know they won a truck championship a couple of years ago with i believe johnny Sauter, and they decided to go uh nationwide or excuse me xfinity series racing and you know he hasn't had a lot of luck in the xfinity they were doing they do very well in trucks um you know it, it is a shame because the family ran uh entity you know spencer's father runs the program they do a really good job in the trucks uh mike bean you remember him? He's oh, yeah. been a, a crew chief forever. You know, he he's in charge of that program, and you know, I always like to see them do well. And it is a shame about this. And uh, I was looking when I first heard about. It, I was looking to see, you know, if they were saying that, you know, there has to be a mistake somewhere, or you know, trying to defend it. But you know, I, I did find a quote from Spencer saying that this was a a stupid mistake and he's very sorry and he's going to make sure it will never happen again. And, you know, I, I read that he accepted the road to recovery program. So I don't know. I don't think it's been released on, uh, what he tested positive for. I don't think it has um, either. I, I, I don't, I think they withheld that, that information, which, you know, I think a lot of fans can build an opinion on that, and I, I say this because in the world of random drug testing, there are certain things that can set it off. You know, I, oh, yeah. just your random little fact for the day, uh, poppy seed dressing, you know, salad dressing, poppy seed salad dressing can show up on a drug test. I don't know what it shows up as, but uh, that's what I've been told several times before. So, you know, I think it's, I, I think I'd like to know what it was that he tested positive for before we really form an opinion at the same time. If he's already announced that he, you know, is, is very sorry for this and he, he wants to earn the respect of the fans and the sponsors and everything like that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I do know that um, this will not be eligible for the playoffs, even if he comes back. Mm-hmm. If he comes back in September, this win is pretty much a null and void. So, you know, they always uh, play up. You win and you're in the championship. And this is not going to count. So if he does come back this season, he's not going to be back in it unless he 
gets a waiver, which NASCAR say they will not do. So, uh, excuse me, Johnny Sauter's in the car for this weekend at Dover, which I think is a great pick. He does well in the truck series. Uh, he's one of those, those old veterans. You know, I think he's a, I think he's a West Coast driver now. I kind of think about is. it. So, yeah. um, but you know, it, it, it is a shame to see this, but you know, we'll see what they can do. It, and I think it's more of a shame because it's a family operation. You know, if it was he was just driving for another team, yeah, it, it's a shame. But I think it's more more of a shame, more feeling sorry because it is a family organization. Yeah, so it is. Definitely. Some, uh, hope it works out for them. Somebody and and I don't remember which outlet it was wrote an op ed after Spencer's a little problem, that said that mm-hmm. 70, 70% of the drivers in the Cup and the Xfinity Series use some kind of prohibitive drugs. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I don't accept that. But that's what they're saying. Well, I don't really believe that either because they've really, NASCAR's done a good job of explaining the random drug testing policy this week. Um, and I think that they mentioned that there's three people, you know, it could be drivers or crew chiefs or crew members, anybody with a hard card. So somebody that has applied for a NASCAR hard card that allows them into the races, um, each week, they pick three people randomly to, uh, admit to those. And that's each week, you know, they, I saw trying to think who it was yesterday I was watching on. Uh, NASCAR race hub. One of the commentators is also a crew chief. I'm trying to remember who it was. I believe it was Drew Blickensturfer. And, you know, he was saying that already first of May, and he's already had three of those this year. So it seems like they stay on top of it. And they, you know, it, of course it is random. It's computer generated. tells them who to go after. And it's the third party that does it. It's not NASCAR. So I think they make it as fair as they possibly can. And, you know, it, it's just like in, in the workplace. I think sometimes you you could get picked on once a year. Sometimes you could get picked on ten times a year. It's just, it's yeah. just you never know. Well, I think it's a so, good thing. You know, I I think it needs to be definitely. monitored, and I think NASCAR does a whole lot better job of it than any other major sport. Oh, I I totally agree with you on that one, and I think you have to be because if you're on any type of drug and play baseball or football, I mean. There's not a whole lot you can do to affect others. I'm not going to say that they're going to be harmless to others, but you can do a whole lot more damage with a 3,500-pound stock car than you can throwing a football, you know, yeah. to others, per se. So, uh, you know, they definitely do a great job of trying to police it and shutting it down before it becomes a problem. So I do have to commend them for that. And I also I don't know if this drug test occurred after the race or before the race, I, I would think of it before the race, you would have heard about it, you know, pretty soon. Uh, you know, it might've been before the race and not gotten the results yeah, no, back no. in time. Might've been after the race. What I don't know I, if it was Sunday after the race or what. What I read was a drug test was Friday morning and oh, they really? didn't, yeah, they didn't get the results back until sometime Monday. So that's, probably wow. what the deal was you know that's very surprising because whatever it was he failed on was probably still in the system through the race on saturday yeah it would have been but you know it's 
how do we know? I, somebody that I talked to recently told me that marijuana will stay in your system for three months. If you smoke a joint, wow. it'll be in your system for three months. Now, whether or not that's true, I have no idea. No idea. Wow. I'm not a I'm not an expert or a doctor on that kind of stuff, but uh, but you play you know, one on that's TV. Definitely do it now. But you play one on TV. A doctor? Yeah. I'm just no. picking with you. Don't, have you never seen the commercial, <laughs> Cody? Good Lord, have you ever I stayed haven't. in a Holiday Inn Express? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, see, then you're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to know everything. Well, I'm. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I only know I only know about racing. That's all you need to know on this show. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and that's been good. Well, Cody, are you finished up? Yeah, I think we timed that just perfectly. It has been a great, wonderful time, isn't it? We've had a good hour segment. But let me tell you, Alex was not with us tonight because he has a very, 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 very good friend, uh, that's suffering from what I understand is cancer, and his time is very, very short. So Alex had told me earlier in the week he probably wouldn't be here. Of course, our prayers go out for Alex and his family and his friend. But that, that's why he wasn't on tonight. But he'll be back next week, I'm pretty sure. But, Cody, it has been incredibly awesome having a whole hour to talk about so many things and I really appreciate what you do, and thank you for your contributions to the show. Well, Tim, I definitely appreciate you letting me come on and talk, because, you know, I, I I like to think I'm pretty good at just talking, so. You are. Um, you are. But uh, I do appreciate it, and, you know, I, I did enjoy spending an hour on the on the show with you, and I hope next week we can have enough interesting things to talk about, I think, Talladega this week, there are just so many things to talk about, so I'm glad we did have an hour. You know, I, I hate the circumstances, but, um, you know, I was glad to that we did have an hour to chat and, you know, really, really get down to the nitty-gritty of some things. Well, Dover may give us even more to chat about next week, so we'll have to wait. You want to stay on while I close out, or you want to hang up? Sure, sure. All right, I'll, we'll I'll go ahead. Up. We'll go ahead and get ready to close it out. I think it's been a great show tonight for real. All right, all of us here at ICAST Media, thank each and every one of you who join us here each Thursday. To those of you around the world who catch us on the podcast, and remember, all shows are archived immediately after airing. Thank you for tuning in as well. Email me at timleeming at ghosttracks.racing with comments suggestions, or complaints. I personally want to thank Bill Blair and Cody Densmore tonight and Alex Nickerson, whom we missed tonight, for the work they put in each week in behalf of this show. Thanks to Dan and Penny Henson, who keep the gears greased to make it work. Our heartfelt thanks to all our veterans and their families who protect our freedoms. Thank you to the first responders who are often called upon to put their lives in jeopardy for our safety. God bless each and every one of you. We hope you all enjoy the show and will be with us next Thursday as we take another trip back in time in the history of the greatest sport. 
Good night, everyone. Love you all, and may God bless us, every one. Good night, Cody. Good night, all. Production of iCast Media Network.